Well, hey guys, how are you doing? Good. Nathan, I heard you. I think that was, that's distinctive. That's always bad when you like start to know that voice. So it's good. It's a good thing, right? But it's great to be here. It was so cool to hear the things that have already happened. There are things that we need to talk about. There's things that we need to begin to dialogue as a nation that most preachers and most churches are not talking about. And we have to begin to talk about these things. Christians have to begin to be the children of God wherever they're at and saying the things that are difficult to say. And here's what I want to share, share with you today. We're in our F260 plan. We're going to be in the book of Daniel. And I love 1 John. I've been camping out in 1 John, so it's going to be sneaking in throughout this whole sermon. But John does something really cool. He wants to make sure that you guys know and we know, because he knows it's going to be difficult to get through our thick skulls, that we are children of God. Listen to this, what it says in 1 John 3.1. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. And I didn't put it on there, but right after that, that says, John says, and this is what we are. Are you standing on the fact that you're a child of God? When Victor Sabrivakov was 15, his teacher told him he would never finish school and that he should drop out and learn a trade. Despite what his parents said about him, that he was creative, that he was smart, Victor listened to the teacher, dropped out, and for the next 17 years, he was a wanderer doing a variety of odd jobs. He had been told he was a dunce, he was an idiot, and for 17 years, he acted like one. When he was 32 years old, an amazing transformation took place. An evaluation revealed that he was a genius with an IQ of 161. Guess what? That's right. He started acting like a genius. Since that time, he's written books, secured a number of patents, and he's become a successful businessman. Perhaps the most significant event for the former dropout was his election to the chairman of the International Mensa Society. The Mensa Society has only one membership qualification, an IQ of 140. What was it that made the difference in Victor's life? Did he all of a sudden get smart at the age of 32? No, he changed the way he saw his identity. He began listening to the right voice. There's probably no single factor that's more important in determining how we live than how we see ourselves, what we understand our identity to be. We are children of God. But today I want to talk to you about the identity thief that just like that teacher comes. The devil comes to kill, steal, and destroy that very identity. And just like that teacher, he wages an all-out war against the children of God. The book of Daniel says he even wears out the children of God. How many of you know when you're weary, Satan doesn't take a break on you? He wants to wear out the children of God. And John says, that's what you are. You're a child of God. You stand firm. You remember it. This other passage in 1 John 5, 19. Again, John's trying to get it through our thick skull. Your child of God, your child, stand in it. Listen to what he says in 1 John 5, 19. We know that we are children of God. And he says, we also know, and that's what I want you to hear, that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Even though Jesus resurrected from the grave, guess who's still roaming around in charge of the world? The world system. See, the Bible calls the world system Babylon. And in Daniel this week, we're getting a picture of Satan's Babylon system. Nebuchadnezzar is a type of Antichrist or of the devil. 
And in the first chapter of Daniel, it shows how Satan wants to steal their identity. Nebuchadnezzar is going to try to steal their identity. And it's a picture of Satan wanting to steal our identity in Christ, render you powerless and tripped up by the world and your flesh. As we read this, you need to understand that you are engaging in Satan's system, just like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You're right in the middle of it right now. So let me ask you a question. This is a big deal. Think about this. Can believers be in bondage to the devil and demons? We see a physical bondage in Daniel, but I'm talking about a spiritual bondage. What I mean is that every time you sin, God doesn't deport you to a physical Babylon. Though some of your wives wish he would at times, right? But does our sin cause us to get carried off into spiritual bondage? And I'm not trying to say it's something to be afraid of, but something to be aware of because too many of us are in bondage today. And I want you to be aware of the devil's schemes. You see, in Acts 13, 40, Paul warns the church, not the world, he warns the church. He says, beware, lest what is spoken in the prophets comes upon you. And it's a quote, they would have known it, we don't know, but it's a quote from the book of Habakkuk in the Old Testament. And what he's saying is that there's an enemy who's trying to blind you to the truth. And when you listen to that voice, beware, lest what the prophet said comes upon you. And I want to take you there to see what Paul is referring to. Who is this enemy Paul is referring to in the book of Habakkuk? Look at Habakkuk 1.6. It says, for indeed, I am raising up the Chaldeans. Remember that word, Chaldeans. Because that's who Paul is talking about. Who they would have known he was referencing. A bitter and hasty nation. So there are physical people which marches through the breadth of the earth. And listen to this last phrase. To possess dwelling places that are not theirs. Remember that. See, Chaldeans were a physical people who ruled Babylon and Assyria, where we're going to land in Daniel. But they were also a symbol in the Old Testament days of demons and of Satan. So in other words, when I say Chaldeans, it equals demons. And Paul is warning the church, a New Testament church, that those demons come against the people of God to gain mastery over them, to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. See, this word possess, we're so messed up with movies and horror movies and stuff and possession and things. Possess means this. It means to gain mastery over. Do you think, child of God, you have an enemy that wants to gain mastery over you? See, skeptics today, well, there's not demons. There isn't a devil. Did you know more than half the church now believes there's no devil? Listen, we're being duped into Satan's world system to think there's not an enemy out there. There is. And they are trying to possess dwelling places that are not theirs and rob you of your identity. See, I keep a golf club at my house, and I know this can sound really pathetic, but I keep a, a, a golf hand handy for intruders, and I usually keep it by my garage. But have you ever had that eerie feeling at night when you wake up and the garage door is open, and you're like, what's going on? And even I've had this happen to me, even at night, not only was the garage door open, but the screen door going out into the garage was open. Is it just me, or has anybody else done this? When you've left a window open or something unlocked, you get careless and you leave it insecure, unsecure. See, many of us do that with the devil. We leave just a little bit of a window open. We leave that garage door open. We think it's okay when we have compromise or sin in our lives. That Satan won't get in. That we can dabble in these things. But remember, I said, they're trying to possess dwelling places that are not 
theirs. You see, Satan is a squatter. We don't use that word anymore. You know what a squatter is? A squatter is someone who lives somewhere they're not supposed to be. And I see the Carters here. I don't know if you're in the first service, but they have a beautiful property. How would you like Satan to be squatting on the back end of your property? You wouldn't like it very much. But see, that's what we do. We give an entryway into the devil and he starts off in the back part of your property, in your heart, and he moves to the attic and then to a room and you close the door so people don't see the compromise in your life. Then he really starts to take over because you won't bring your sin into the light. And what opens the door for him? Compromise. When you open the door, those Chaldeans, those demons, the oppression is waiting to happen. We need to kick them out. They don't own us, child of God. You are a child of God. And see, this is the first thing you need to know about Satan's strategy. They're thieves. See, the work of Satan is to steal, kill, and destroy. He doesn't take a day off from you. He doesn't ever feel merciful. Satan has an army of demons. If you're chasing after God, Satan is chasing after you. And you're like, well, he's going after the unbelievers. Listen, he's already got unbelievers. He wants to stop the children of God, steal your identity, and entangle you in compromise so you don't share Jesus with the unbelievers. The exhaustive dictionary of biblical names says this about Chaldeans. Remember, they were a physical people, but look at the symbol that they become. Chaldeans, as it were, demons. The root word is to lay waste and destroy. It says they were wanderers. Remind you of Jesus' words in Matthew 12. Jesus said, when an evil spirit or a demon or a Chaldean leaves a person, it wanders through waterless regions looking for a resting place. And then it says, I will return to my house. Do you hear the problem with that? How dare they say my house to a child of God? And they return. And they find the house empty, swept, and put in order. Sounds good. But then he brings seven more evil spirits more evil than itself, and they live where, and the condition of that person is worse off. See, it was swept in order. It was swept clean, but there's one word in there that's a problem. It was empty. How many of you get right with God, sweep your heart clean, turn from something, you experience his presence, but you don't fill this with the word of God, with the presence of God and the spirit's power and a relationship with Jesus And the devil comes back and you're worse off than before, filled with doubt, habits, and hangups. I'm not trying to condemn you or scare you. I'm just trying to get you to see you're in a battle. See, the world's got us all messed up thinking it's all a psychological thing. It only recognizes the mind and the body, but there's a spiritual realm. And many of us are caught up in that. And I want you to realize you have an enemy that wants to gain mastery over you. And he's not going to take a day off. He's relentless. And he knows all the idols of your heart. And he will gain entry when you compromise, when you leave that garage door open, when you leave that window open. Okay, so Chaldeans, they're a physical people that the Bible says is a type of demon. The Chaldeans, and this is where we're going to connect with Daniel, the Chaldeans took over Babylon and Assyria, and they were called the kings over those empires. Every king of Babylon and Assyria, they were Chaldeans. In fact, the coming Antichrist in the Old Testament is called the Assyrian. And look who is a Chaldean in the book of Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar was a Chaldean. And because he was such a humble guy, 
He raised a big statue, gold statue of himself and said, you all need to bow down to this. And you know the story with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They said, no, we're not going to compromise. And they're thrown into a fiery furnace and experience Jesus. But what I want to do is back up into Daniel 1 and show you Satan's strategy to steal your identity. Just as Nebuchadnezzar tried to do with the Hebrew slaves to give us clues of how Satan wants to steal our identity. So if you have your Bible, you can open up to Daniel. We're going to be in chapter 1. It says this, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And this is what I want you to hear. Verse 2. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. Here it is. This is the first thing of the identity thief that he wants to do. And then he left with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar. Shinar is where Babylon, Assyrian, Nineveh, the Tower of Babel was, where Nimrod, the first picture of a one world government was. All this is happening here. But here's what I want you to hear. He took the articles from the temple. What do those articles do? It's their worship. Have you ever noticed the first thing when you put compromise in your life, the first thing to go is your worship? And you get into the house of God and you don't feel like worshiping. In fact, you feel a little bit rebellious. What are these people doing worshiping this God? Because your heart's starting to harden. See, Satan wants to come in and steal your worship. And it says that Nebuchadnezzar brought those articles of worship into the treasure house of his God. Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of the eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the notables it says in verse 4, young men in whom there's no blemish, but good looking. So therefore, me, Dave, and Brian will totally be candidates for this, right? That was funny in the other service. You guys think I'm serious. But listen to what it says. They were good looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace, and whom they might teach. There it is. This is the second thing. He already stole their worship. Now he's going to do this, that they might teach the language and the literature of the Chaldeans. In other words, he's going to make this big satanic attack on them. He's going to brainwash them. And the king appointed for them a daily provision. Here's the third thing. Of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank. See, he wants to get them into the bondage of the lust of the flesh. These are Hebrews. They eat kosher. They drink differently. And for three years It says he was training them. In other words, brainwashing them. So the end of that time, they might serve before the king. So the brainwashing begins. See, here's the two things he's trying to steal. Your worship and your identity. He took articles from the temple connected with their worship. And then he's brainwashing them with the literature and the learning of the Chaldeans. Do you think Satan is trying to steal the same things today in you? You better believe it. And worship is the first to go. You ever noticed, and I already said this, when you compromise, worship is hard. Your heart is hard to worship into the church. In 1 John, it's called the pride of life. You're like, well, Brian, what does worship have to do with pride? You have to be arrogant not to worship God. Because everybody is worshiping something. Every atheist, every agnostic is worshiping something. You choose something every day that you're worshiping. You see, worship isn't just singing. Worship is your whole life. But the simple act of singing reveals whom you worship and what's in your heart. And when you compromise, when you let the devil put you into bondage, when you open up that window or that garage, he steals your worship and he's trying to get them to compromise through learning and engaging the flesh. Listen to 1 John because 1 John paints the three things that Nebuchadnezzar is doing. Listen to this. 
1 John 2, 15 through 17, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, here it goes, three things. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. Remember, Eve saw the tree that was good for knowledge, the lust of the eyes. And the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. See, First John calls the lust of the flesh. Well, there's the food, right, that he gave them. The lust of the eyes, that's the knowledge and of the mind. And the pride of life, there's their worship. Because worship ultimately means who are you going to submit to? See, the world is trying to train you in their language and their literature to fill this part up in your brain with a different way than God's way. But here's what's interesting. He also gives them Chaldean names. Why do you think he does that? Identity. Listen to what it says. I'm putting it up here. Now from among those sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Ezariah. And he gave them new names. Listen to what it says. Daniel means God is my judge. They changed his name to Belteshazzar, which means Bel, a pagan god protects life. Do you think when Daniel's facing a lion's den, if he's kind of thinking, well, maybe Bel is my protector. Maybe I'm doing something foolish here. Or does he remember No, wait? God is my judge. You can rename me, but I'm following God. For Hananiah, Yahweh has been gracious to Shadrach, which means commanded by a coup. Do you hear the oppression that they're putting in their names? Oh, God isn't gracious. Look where you're at. You're actually commanded by this pagan God now. So give it up on God. Michelle or Michael, who is what God is to Meshach? Who is what Aku is? Azariah, Yahweh has helped to Abednego, slave or servant of Nebo. Do you hear the oppression? Do you hear what the enemy wants to do? Many of you have let Satan slip something other than child of God around your neck. See, it's not just their identity and renaming them, but it's their futures. He wants to steal your future. Satan wants to convince you there's no future. There's no turning back from the compromise in your life and erase all hope that God is real and that he's in your life. And it's a lie from the pit of hell. But I love verse eight. Because it says that Daniel resolved in his heart not to defile himself. How many of us are like Daniel living in this Babylon system who resolve in our heart, we will not defile ourselves. To be a church, to be a people, to be a couple, to be a single, to be a youth that says, I will not defile myself. You can rename me, you can teach me everything about this world, but my God is the God of Israel and I'll serve him. In verse nine, it says, now God had brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. See, there's some things that Nebuchadnezzar didn't count on. The favor of God and the character of Daniel and his friends. Do you have character? See, you have the favor of God. In every circumstance you're in, you have the favor of God because you are a child of God. But do you have the resolve to not compromise like Daniel and his friends that activates that favor? Does the favor of God match the character of God in your life? Because God will test it. Because he wants your character to match the favor you already have. See, when we compromise, and you've got to remember this, when we compromise, we allow Satan to steal our identity as a child of God, our worship, and our future. They're thieves, and he wants to steal those things from you. The next is they're vicious. They're vicious. Satan and his demons are vicious. Satan never has a merciful day. 
He doesn't look at you and ever feel sorry for you. Remember, he never thought that for Job, right? He was relentless with Job. And by the way, in Job, if you remember, who stole all of Job's possessions? What were they called? Chaldeans. See how they pop up everywhere? And Chaldeans in the book of Zephaniah, Ezekiel, and Habakkuk are called evening wolves and roaring lions. What does evening wolves mean? Why does it put evening wolves? It means they attack at night. They feed at night and they'll gang up on you. Have you ever woke up at night and you can't sleep? Who is there to get your thoughts going in the wrong way? The best thing you can do in those moments is grab your Bible and you pray until your head hits that pillow and you go to sleep. Otherwise, you'll end up doing something or watching something you shouldn't. See, in Acts, Paul says that savage wolves will come in among you. See, I like to watch stuff on YouTube. I'll just admit it. And so there was this thing about wolves and they were coming over into the dog parks. And it was so cute and everybody's excited. That the wolves, this wolf was playing with all the dogs. And so all the children were around and everybody's laughing. and It was a good time. But you've got to understand that was a rare kind of moment. Wolves are vicious. When they look cute and playful out there, they're actually studying you. Wolves inspect you and watch you. They even look friendly. When wolves appear most casual and innocent, even interesting to watch, they are studying you, sizing you up for the attack. The more indifferent they seem, the more serious the danger. They are preparing for the pack attack. The more comfortable they appear, the deadlier they are. What are they looking for? Compromise. Compromise. Places of weakness that they can come in. When you compromise, remember, we're called sheep, right? Are we called sheep? The Bible calls us sheep. And when you put yourself on the fray, on the outside of the sheep, they come and attack you. They look for the isolated times, the weak moments. See, they have this whole compromise thing worked out because they make you feel secure. They make it feel playful, like it'll never get found out and nothing's ever going to happen bad to you. But they're watching you and you live on side the fray. They don't attack you at once, but they make you feel comfortable in that isolation and in compromise. Listen, the Bible calls you a sheep. This church is what's called a sheepfold, and there are wolves trying to get to you. You're in their world system. If you're on the fray in your youth group, you better get to Jesus. If you're on the fray in CR or in your small group or your D group, you better get in there. You better get back to the shepherd. If I was you and you're like living like this, so you're out here on the fray, you're over here, and, and, and those wolves, they're looking nice, and they're ready to attack you, and you've got compromise in your life. What I would do is go like this, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, and you, then you'd push one of your brothers out of the way, and you'd say, excuse, and then you'd say, I'm sorry, then you'd say, excuse me, until you got right in the middle of the sheepfold, right next to the shepherd. And you're like, hey, Jesus, I'm here, I'm just hanging, I'm kicking it. See those wolves? You can take care of that. If you're living on the fray, stop compromising. Stop making excuses before it's too late. Stop living on the fringe. Kick the squatter out. For you anglers, Chaldeans are described as having large hooks and men are the fish. Hmm. Think about David's life. How smart these wolves, evening wolves are. Who else but a mastermind could have a woman take a bath at the exact time King David would go on a patio and see her? How? Because they studied him. They watched his movements. They knew exactly when and what time he stepped out on the balcony every night. See, he compromised. 
it wasn't at war where kings were supposed to be. And they had the bait and they hooked a king. Listen, the Bible put the sin of sexual compromise and adultery as the thing that most damages the soul. And of course, it's what our world glorifies the most. And don't, I need you to hear this. Paul says the idols of the heart, those compromises, those things we begin to worship that steal our worship and our identity actually have demons behind them. See, I'm trying to get you to see that Satan is out to destroy. And when you compromise, you invite him to squat in your house. Satan is a squatter. The Bible is very plain that evil spirits can even be behind despair and fear. And you're like, those aren't compromises. Those aren't idols. Listen, worry doubts the heart of God. You can't worship at the altar of drugs, money, fear, worry, and sex and expect there is no demonic influence. You can't play around like that. That's what the enemy wants you to think. And that's where many of you are right now. It's where many of you are. Did you know that even jealousy and control can have what's called the spirit of Jezebel? It may be your flesh that started it, your flesh that sinned, and you have to own that. But what you've done is you've allowed Satan a right to come in and oppress you and make whatever compromise you have worse. And he will make it worse. Listen, there are times in my life, in my youth, my parents, I didn't even say this in the first service, my parents are here. There were times, and they told me this later. Now, I was, a, I was a, a Christian, but I was so compromised in my life, doing drugs, doing all these things in my life, and partying and doing everything I was doing, that my parents said that they came together and prayed over my bed at night because they could see the activity of Satan in my life. Don't you think because you're a child of God that you don't have an enemy that wants to gain mastery over you? And those compromises, he's going to come in, and he's going to have his day with you. Compromise has consequences Don't be deceived. Those wolves look playful. Don't be deceived. See, we're called sheep, right? Sheep can't live on the fray very long. They can't be isolated for very long. Remember Psalm 23? It talks about the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. See, there's a problem right there. We want everything else but Jesus. And so we get into problems. But remember, it says his rod and his staff comfort me. What does a staff do? It guides you. But what about that rod? It's a rod of comfort. Don't forget. Why would the rod bring comfort to us? See what Jesus does with that rod is he beats the snot out of the wolf. And some of you are playing with fire, trying to handle it on your own when you need to get with the shepherd and let him go beat the snot out of the wolf. So here's the answer. Are you compromised? Have you allowed bondage into your life? Satan's influence, Chaldeans. Here's the answer. Run to the shepherd. Listen, I'm going to say it again. Don't be deceived. Compromise has consequences. Your heart is hard right now because you compromised. Get to the shepherd before it's too late. And here's the last thing that sums up Satan's attack. They're cunning. He's cunning. See, Chaldeans in the book of Daniel in chapter 1, they're known as magicians, astrologers, and sorcerers. Now think of the demonic influence. What does a magician do? It distracts you so he can deceive you. An astrologer tries to determine your future and says God doesn't have any control over it. And a sorcerer deceives you through evil spirits. Sounds a lot like Satan. Sum it up. Satan and his demons are trying to distract, deceive, and determine your future. Let me tell you, 
If you are a believer, who determines your future? The Lord Jesus Christ alone. That's it. And I want you to hear the irony of this, this whole Chaldeans thing. Remember Abraham? Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. Come on, you guys got to nod at me. First service is more awake than this. Abraham was born in Chaldea. God says, leave the land. God calls him out of that. So here's a type and a shadow and a symbol. Abraham, father of the Jewish people, father of our faith. The people are born out of Abraham. He was born in Chaldea. God says, leave the land of the Chaldeans. He comes out and births the nation of Israel. And then in Daniel, they go back into bondage to the Chaldeans in Babylon. That's what compromise does. Guys, we are born out of bondage. Sin will no longer be your master. Yet we go right back into it. 1 Peter 5.8 says this, be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Man, you've got evening wolves and roaring lions trying to devour you. But these words, sober and vigilant, simply mean this. Be watchful. Don't let your guard down. Don't think you can get away with that garage door being open or that little window of sin being open. Be watchful. It doesn't mean to be afraid of the devil. I'm not trying to say that. I'm not saying be afraid of him. The Bible calls him a roaring lion. Let me tell you something about roaring lions. A roaring lion is an old lion that doesn't have any teeth. And what they do is they find the prey and they roar so loud it scares the prey into the mouth of the young lions. That's what they do. And here's why the Bible describes him that way. Because Jesus pulled all his teeth. Satan was defanged at the cross and his time is running out. And the reason you don't have to be afraid of the roaring lion is that Revelation says the lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed. Are you letting him prevail in your life? Compromise leads to oppression by the enemy. Run to the lion of Judah. Are you oppressed by the enemy? Run to the shepherd. Shut the door to the devil. Stop playing around with fire. Let me ask you this, and I love this quote. It's one of my favorite quotes. I try to sneak it in. I snuck it in in Israel. I love it. It's by John Piper, and he says this. Actually, I'm going to back up. Let me ask you a question. Do you think a loving God will allow you to go into bondage when you refuse to stop sinning? And this is what John Piper says. The most loving thing God can do is make himself indispensable to us. In other words, yeah, he'll let you go into bondage so you'll cry out to him. So you'll get back to the shepherd and stop trying to do it in your own strength. Cry out to the shepherd. Come clean. Let me pray. Lord God, I just thank you that you are in control, God. And there's many people here right now, they're compromised, God, in their lives right now. They are burdened. They know that it's not just a, a sin that they're dealing with, but there is satanic oppression. Father, right now, I ask that you would open the ears and the eyes of our heart that we could see truth and hear your truth, that you're the God who will kick out the devil if we'll allow you, that we need to stop doing it in our own strength. Father, I pray just right now you would release in Jesus' name, the oppression of the enemy over all these people. God, that you convict them so heavily of their sin, 
of drugs, of sexual immorality, of pornography, Father, of worry, doubt, and fear. Father, they would know that there is evil spirits behind it. And God, they would know that they are forgiven and free and cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. And they would come clean and begin to submit to you and worship you again. Father, many have had their worship stolen from their hearts and their minds and their mouths because they've let sin creep in. Father, I pray you'd restore it today. You'd restore their hearts and minds. That you restore the good things. You'd restore what the enemy has stolen. Father, you promised to restore what the enemy has stolen. And I pray you begin restoration in this place and freedom. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. See, here's the thing this morning. We're going to do something in this service. And if you feel like you're oppressed by the devil, that there's something, there's a spiritual thing going on, I want to anoint you and I want to rebuke the devil in Jesus' name. And I want to loose grace and peace over you. But here's the deal. Don't do this. Don't submit to God if you're not willing to get in the sheepfold. Because so many of us, we want to come clean. We do our thing. We sing our song. But then we don't live in the sheepfold. We still live in the outsides of the fray. Listen, if you're not a part of this church, then you are vulnerable to the evening wolves. You got to get in a D group. You got to get in a small. You got to get in men's group. You got to get in to celebrate recovery. You can't. Why do we have this perception that we don't need these things, that we've got it all figured out and we can do it in our power? When God puts these places in our lives and people around us so we live in the center of his will and not on the fray. And some of you are being attacked and you're beaten and Satan's, so he's like, oh, it's okay. You don't have to go to that. You don't have to be a part of this. You don't need people in your life. You don't need to confess anything. It's all good. Those are lies from the devil, not Jesus Christ. And Jesus wants to set you free. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That is our king. He is a king of freedom and peace. And you can have that. And there's some of you, you don't even know Jesus. You're totally open and vulnerable right now. Man, you've got to fill your life with salvation. If you don't know Jesus right now, it says to call on the name of Jesus and be saved. And there's many of you believers, your identity is gone, man. You don't even believe you're a child of God. You don't believe you're worth anything because Satan is so lied to you and you're so tangled up in sin and you're just playing with fire. It's time to get right. So you may want to come down here at the altar and bow down and say, God, I repent. I turn away from my sin. I change my mind. I turn away from it. I'm going to get in the sheepfold because you can repent. But if you ain't in the sheepfold, there's a good chance Satan's going to still attack you. You got to get with other believers. And then this morning, to, if it's you that you feel like, man, Satan's just oppressing me. It's like the spirit. Listen, the Bible says that he did not give us a spirit of fear or timidity. What he's saying is that there are spirits of fear and timidity that want to wreck your life. But he said we've given a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. That's Holy Spirit. You're commanded, fill yourselves with Holy Spirit. Is this empty? It was swept clean and ordered. That's great, but is it empty? Are you filling it with the Spirit of God? The Spirit of power, love, and of sound mind. So if that's you this morning, I'll be up here. I want to anoint you and rebuke the devil. And I'll be up here. So let's stand and let's worship him. Real quick, sorry. For you guys, the last two weeks we've been on a journey, right? As a youth group. You guys have seen God working, right? Through winter retreat, through last week at youth. God is speaking the same thing over to you over and over and over and over and over again. Why is that? Why is that? I want you to ask yourself that question this morning because this doesn't happen all the time. 
God doesn't normally give you these, these chances and chances and chances and chances. There's something special about this group, and I'm going to keep on telling you until you realize there's something special about this group. God is speaking to you. The creator of the universe that controls everything is speaking to this group. Why? Are you willing to change or are you just willing to pretend? Are you going to be uncompromised? Are you going to walk in that? 